there was a sense of honor so keen, a generosity so romantic, that any offense of the kind was to her a source of immovable disgust. Mrs. John Dashwood had never been a favorite with any of her husband's family, but she had had no opportunity till the present of showing them with how little attention to the comfort of other people she could act when the occasion required it. So acutely did Mrs. Dashwood feel this ungracious behavior, and so earnestly did she despise her daughter-in-law for it, that she would have quitted the house forever had not the entreaty of her eldest girl and her own love for all her three children determined her to stay and avoid a breach with their brother. Eleanor, the eldest daughter, possessed a strength of understanding and coolness of judgment which qualified her, though only nineteen, to be the counsellor of her mother. She had an excellent heart, her disposition was affectionate, and her feelings were strong. But she knew how to govern them. It was a knowledge which her mother had yet to learn, and which one of her sisters had resolved never to be taught. Marianne's abilities were, in many respects, quite equal to Eleanor's. She was sensible and clever, but eager in everything. Her sorrows, her joys, could have no moderation. She was generous, amiable, interesting. She was everything but prudent. The resemblance between her and her mother was strikingly great. Eleanor saw with concern the excess of her sister's sensibility, but with Mrs. Dashwood it was valued and cherished. They encouraged each other now in the violence of their affliction. The agony of grief which overpowered them at first was voluntarily renewed, was sought for, was created again and again. They gave themselves up wholly to their sorrow and resolved against ever admitting consolation in future. Eleanor, too, was deeply afflicted, but still she could struggle. She could exert herself. She could consult with her brother, could receive her sister-in-law on her arrival, and strive to rouse her mother to similar exertion. Margaret, the other sister, was a good-humoured, well-disposed girl. But as she had already imbibed a good deal of Marianne's romance without having much of her sense, she did not at thirteen bid fair to equal her sisters at a more advanced period of life. Mrs. John Dashwood now installed herself mistress of Norland, and her mother and sisters-in-law were degraded to the condition of visitors. As such, however, they were treated by her with quiet civility, and by her husband with as much kindness as he could feel towards anybody beyond himself, his wife, and their child. He really pressed them to consider Norland as their home. No plan appeared so eligible to Mrs. Dashwood as remaining there till she could accommodate herself with a house in the neighborhood. Mrs. John Dashwood did not approve of what her husband intended to do for his sisters. To take three thousand pounds from the fortune of their dear little boy would be impoverishing him to the most dreadful degree. She begged him to think again on the subject. How could he answer to himself to rob his child, and his only child too, of so large a sum? And what possible claim could the Miss Dashwoods, who were related to him only by half-blood, which she considered of no relationship at all, have on his generosity to so large an amount. It was very well known that no affection was ever supposed to exist between the children of any man by different marriages. And why was he to ruin himself and their poor little Harry by giving away all his money to his half-sisters? It was my father's last request to me, replied her husband, that I should assist his widow and daughters. He did not know what he was talking of, I dare say. Ten to one, but he was light-headed at the time. 
Had he been in his right senses, he could not have thought of such a thing as begging you to give away half your fortune from your own child. If he did not stipulate any sum, my dear Fanny, he only requested me in general terms to assist them and make their situation more comfortable than it was in his power to do. As he required the promise, I could not do less than give it. At least I thought so at the time. Uh, something must be done for them whenever they leave New Orleans and settle in a new home. Well, then let something be done for them, but that something need not be three thousand pounds. When the money is once parted with, it never can return. Your sisters will marry, and it will be gone forever. If indeed it could ever be restored to our poor little boy. Why, to be sure, said her husband very gravely, that would make a great difference. The time may yet come when Harry will regret that so large a sum was parted with. If he should have a numerous family, it would be a very convenient addition. Perhaps then it would be better for all parties if the sum were diminished one half. Five hundred pounds would be a prodigious increase to their fortunes. Oh, beyond anything great! What brother on earth would do half so much for his sisters, even if really his sisters? And as it is only half-blood, but you have such a generous spirit. Oh, I, I would not wish to do anything mean. No one can think I have not done enough for them, even themselves. There is no knowing what they may expect, said the lady. But we are not to think of their expectations. The question is, what can you afford to do? Certainly. And I think I can afford to give them five hundred pounds apiece. As it is... Without any addition of mine, they will each have above three thousand pounds on their mother's death. A very comfortable fortune for any young woman. To be sure it is. Indeed, it strikes me that they can want no addition at all. They may all live very comfortably together on the interest of ten thousand pounds. That is very true. <laughs> Therefore, I do not know whether on the whole it would not be... More advisable to do something for their mother while she lives rather than for them. Something of the annuity kind, I mean. My sisters would feel the good effects of it as well as herself. A, a hundred a year would make them all perfectly comfortable. His wife hesitated a little in giving her consent to this plan. To be sure, said she, it is better than parting with fifteen hundred pounds at once. But then, if Mrs. Dashwood should live fifteen years, we should be completely taken in. Fifteen years? Oh, my dear Fanny, her life cannot be worth half that purchase. Certainly not. But if you observe, people always live forever when there is an annuity to be paid them. She is very stout and healthy and hardly forty. An annuity is a very serious business. It comes over and over every year, and there is no getting rid of it. I'm sure I would not pin myself down to the payment of an annuity for all the world. It is certainly an unpleasant thing, replied Mr. Dashwood, to have those kind of yearly drains on one's income. One's fortune, as your mother says, is not one's own. Undoubtedly, and after all, you have no thanks for it. If I were you, whatever I did should be done at my own discretion entirely. I would not bind myself to allowing them anything yearly. May be very inconvenient some years to spare a hundred or even fifty pounds from our own expenses. I, I believe you are right, my love. It will be better that there should be no annuity. 
whatever I may give them will be of far greater assistance than a yearly allowance, because they would only enlarge their style of living if they felt sure of a larger income. A present of fifty pounds now and then will prevent their ever being distressed for money, and will, I think, be amply discharging my promise to my father. To be sure it will. Indeed, to say the truth, I am convinced within myself that your father had no idea of your giving them any money. The assistance he thought of, I dare say, was only such as might be reasonably expected of you, such as looking out for a comfortable small house for them, helping them to move their things and sending them presents of fish and game and so forth whenever they are in season. Do but consider, my dear Mr. Dashwood, how excessively comfortable your mother-in-law and her daughters may live on the interest of seven thousand pounds. Besides a thousand pounds belonging to each of the girls, which brings them in fifty pounds apiece, and of course they will pay their mother for their board out of it, they will have five hundred a year amongst them, and what on earth can four women want for more than that? They will live so cheap. They will have no carriage, no horses, and hardly any servants. They will keep no company, and can have no expenses of any kind. Five hundred a year. I'm sure I cannot imagine how they will spend half of it. And as to your giving them more... It is quite absurd to think of it. They will be much more able to give you something. Upon my word, said Mr. Dashwood, I believe you are perfectly right. My father certainly could mean nothing more by his request to me than what you say. When my mother removes to another house, my services shall be readily given to accommodate her as far as I can. Some... Little present of furniture, too, may be acceptable then. Certainly, returned Mrs. Dashwood. But one thing must be considered. When your father and stepmother moved to Norland, all the china, plate, and linen were saved and is now left to your step.